Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Hey, man, I'm doing here what I'm on air, what I do on my day job at Texas Sports Spine, and that's listen to people's uh, injuries about their knees, their hips, their backs, their shoulders. But we do it from a sports medicine standpoint and talk about maybe your favorite player in the NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, other sports. We do it uh, talking about that and how it might affect those teams. And uh, do it every week here on Docs and Jocks. And you can always listen to us and find out more about our show by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Or you can listen to us on our iTunes app by just going to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Man, thanks for making us one of the fastest-growing iTunes podcasts out there. We'd love to have you follow our show that way in case you're not in our listening audience of one of our radio stations. But uh, great to have you with us today. I am joined every week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University out in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. He's here with me this week. Hey, Ferris, great to have you on the show. Really excited. Yeah, it's my favorite time of the year right now. Basketball is about ready to yep. tip off and baseball is in the playoff full swing. Yep, in the NBA with his 28 garbage teams, as Michael Jordan likes to say, he's getting ready to kick <laughs> off. <laughs> we'll talk about that later on the show. A couple comments by the great Michael Jordan about super teams and those types of things. But, yeah, man, we've got it all going on right now. you got Major League Baseball playoffs. And speaking of which, Ferris, we're going to have on a couple of great former uh, baseball players. Actually, one of the greatest Houston Astros of all time, Lance Berkman, is going to be joining us. Lance is a six-times All-Star World Series champion with the St. Louis Cardinals, took the uh, Houston Astros to the World Series. Man, one of the greatest switch-hitting baseball players of all time. I didn't know this, Ferris, but he has a higher OPS. Listen to this. That's your slugging percentage and your on-base percentage combined than Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Frank Robinson, and Mike Schmidt. That's a pretty good crowd to have anything better than. But, yeah, we'll have on Lance Berkman. We're also going to have on Will Carroll. Will is a uh, an all-time award-winning sports writer and sports injury writer. Uh, he's Will has been uh, the Moore Award recipient. He has the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons who gives an award to a writer who talks about medical issues. It helps pro, uh, helps provide some uh, help with getting uh, medical injuries better. And Will Carroll has won that award as well as numerous other awards. He's been a Baseball Writers Association uh, member as well as the NFL uh, Writers Association. So he votes on the Hall of Fame in the NFL and Major League Baseball. We'll be talking to Will Carroll about some of those injuries. We always have on the lovely Miss Tracy Munton. Our mental strength coach will be coming on. And then you'll want to listen to all that and more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Excited about a great show. Hope you are too. We'll be right back after the short commercial break here on Docs and Jocks. You're listening to Guy Talk live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. (sighs) My girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show with myself, Dr. Dan, longtime 
sports medicine physician, as well as Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Great to have you listen to our show today. Hey, Ferris, I thought I'd just jump right in. Man, you and I are huge baseball fans. A lot of our listening audience out there right now are just catch, are just tuning into Major League Baseball because of the playoffs going, and this is a time of the year where it really gets exciting. A lot of fun teams this year with Houston Astros having a young team with Jose Altuve, the little uh, David of the David Goliath story out there doing his thing, and then you got you know, the, the Yankees surprisingly had a season this year for the ages. They came back. Really, we're supposed to be in a rebuilding mode, and who knows? They go out and they uh, make the wild card. They beat the Twins, who was supposed to be beat, uh, supposed to be picked over them, and then they beat the Indians, who was supposed to be the best team in baseball. Everybody thought they'd come back this year, make it back to the World Series. You got the Yankees in there. And then last night, we had a great game, one for the ages. I don't know if you got to see it, Ferris, but the Chicago Cubs and the Washington Nationals played to a 9-8 a Chicago Cubs victory. The uh, Washington Nationals had a four to one lead in that game. Then the uh, Cubs were up eight to four, and then next thing you know, it's nine to eight, and you got Bryce Harper coming up with the bases loaded in the uh, seventh inning, I believe it was, and then he came up as the last batter in the ninth inning, and they were able to strike him out with a uh, nobody on base and down by one run. But it was one of those games, Ferris. I think baseball oftentimes gets a rap for not being excited, but that. I really feel like that game was about as exciting as a game could have. He had all kinds of different tosses and turns and, and lead changes. But, man, I think it's one for the ages. I don't know if you got to see it last night, but were you able to catch some of it? Oh, I watched it all. I, I did too. I think it was. I think overall, it was. It was. It was. It, was a, it was, wasn't a great baseball game, but it was a right. very exciting baseball yes. game. I mean, it lasted four and a half hours, and I, I'm amazed at these managers that are really smart guys how they use their bullpens in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. They they both deserve to lose with yeah. how they did it, but. It just shows you that at the end of the day, it comes down to players making plays. And, and Wade Davis made – I mean, he came in for his first save ever in his career of over one inning. Yeah. And it was a seven-out save. Like, yeah. what in the world was Joe Madden thinking? But, right. you know, his player performed, and he bailed him out of a dumb decision. And so um, – but it was a very exciting game. And here's a tidbit for you. The Nats season ended and the Diamondbacks seasons ended – with their best players at the plate, yes. striking out on ball four pitches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Goldschmidt and Bryce Harper both did that. I felt like watching Bryce Harper, and I want to get back to the Wade Davis uh, comment you had earlier too. Don't let me forget that. But I felt like Bryce Harper was a little bit overly anxious in that at bat. It felt like he wanted to swing at every pitch. He he uh, he held up his swing a couple of times on the Wade yeah. Davis slider down in the dirt, but you could tell he wanted to swing every time, and he was coming off an at bat you know, just two innings before where he had the bases loaded and they were down by three, and you could tell he really was trying to hit a bomb. And he hit yeah. a deep fly ball out to center field, which was a sacrifice fly, and he could he was he was visually mad that he didn't hit a better one than that. So I think he carried that at bat into this next at bat, and it seemed to me as though he was overly anxious. We're going to talk to Lance Berkman, who, by the way, has been in that exact situation down – to the last strike of the season if he doesn't come through in the clutch. And Lance Berkman did come through in the clutch for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2011. And one of the best clutch hitting hitters of all time, actually, Lance Berkman was. Get his yeah. take on how – I've heard him say it before, but you really have to, in a big moment, somehow tell yourself we're going to relax into this moment, wipe everything out from the past, see the ball, hit the ball hard somewhere. And that's, that's a, that is a very difficult thing to do when you know your team's season is riding on your last at bat, and you're the guy. You're the man, right? And Bryce yeah. Harper was definitely – he's been the man for the, the Washington Nationals for the last several years. But some people are able to do it. I would say uh, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson. I just watched a long uh, special on him on Major League Baseball Network last night in that you know, 1977 World Series where he hits three home runs on three pitches. 
uh, in the World Series is definitely able to do that. Hey, here's a tidbit for you, Ferris. Did you know Reggie Jackson against the Royals in the series before the Dodgers in 1977? He was benched in the Game 5 deciding game <laughs> by Billy Martin for being 1 for 14. So, you know, you always think about what a great Mr. October he was because of the 1977 yeah. three home runs on three pitches. But did you realize they benched him in Game 5 against your Kansas City Royals? Um, I don't remember that. I just remember the Royals did not advance and the Yankees did. And thanks <laughs> yeah. for bringing that up. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but I, you know, it, I think you bring up a great point. Baseball is such an interesting game in basketball and in football. It is not uncommon for young guys, their first years in to, to come up big in big situations. But in baseball, it, it really is. And Bryce Harper's not a young guy, but he's not an old guy. I mean, he, right. he's been in these situations before, but you talk about at-bats, and this kind of gets in the weeds, and you and I love doing this, but you look at his at-bat, Goldie's at-bat, and then you go back and look at Beltran's at-bat um, to, to, to drive in that insurance run that got the Astros yeah. the win, where he fouled off about seven pitches, and then he yeah. just flipped one off the wall. Wasn't yep. trying to hit it out. You look at Chase Utley when he comes in to pinch hit. You look at even Daniel Descalzo, who, who had probably the best hitting series for the Diamondbacks yeah. you know, in the playoffs. And these guys... They're just hitters, and they yeah. just know how to how to just protect and flip and do these things. Yeah. And yeah, Harper was definitely that first swing. I think he was thinking, I think he was guessing fastball, yeah. and he just missed it. And then after that, he was on on his heels. But it is amazing in baseball. You know, you get out of high school or college, and it still takes three or four years to get the majors, and it still takes three or four years to get comfortable in the yes, majors. And yeah, it's not like basketball where you know Devin Booker can leave after his sophomore year and then score sixty. You know, it right. doesn't happen in baseball. You know, our middle strength coach is going to be coming up in our second segment here on Docs and Jocks, Miss Tracy Munson. She's our middle strength coach, works with the edge middle strength, but works with a lot of the athletes who train in our facility. In our facility, the Forge, uh, that's where a radio show actually comes out of. But she talks about a lot of techniques, and I've heard of a lot of different techniques where you have to have some trigger that allows you to relax into the moment. I've heard Steve Hecht, who's been on the show, who has uh, worked with the Rangers and the Mariners as a performance coach, he used to say he would literally press his chest as if he was letting a release valve uh, let the air out so it would release the pressure. He was saying, I'm, I'm hitting the release valve that allows the pressure to release, and now I'm able to go up there and hit. Other guys, I know he taught uh, – some. my son has been taught by some of these guys – to actually let their shoulders down when they take a big, deep breath because when you have your shoulders up, it's like a break trying to swing a bat. You know, it's like having your brake on until it's trying to swing fast. So a lot of people use visual, mental, physical techniques to try and make themselves relax in the moment. But, yeah, it is definitely a learned skill for sure. Hey, back to your Wade Davis comment about him pitching seven outs in this last game, first time he's ever had a seven-out save, first time he's went over one inning. This is on top of Joe Madden pitching him the night before. You know, so he goes two nights back to back, and he he actually to me, Ferris, and you've seen him a lot because he was your closer with the uh, Kansas City Royals and a great one. But I thought his breaking stuff did not have the sharpness that it normally did, and that probably was due to the fatigue of him pitching back to back nights and pitching a seven out save when Joe Madden really didn't have anybody else to come in other than John Lackey, who looked totally alone down there in the in the uh, bullpen, sitting down there by himself. But didn't you think seem didn't you seem he looked a little bit uh, less sharp than he normally does? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And he was, you know, I, I thought that was one of the most gutsiest pitching performance. I mean, yeah. he walked like three or four guys. I mean, I thought everybody, I thought Quintana, 
really gutted out of performance because he's the guy who got Harper to fly out right you know, to, to, yeah. to right center, and it was a pitch that was on the plate when Harper swung, but it tailed away just enough to miss oh, the barrel yeah. of the bat. I thought oh, Quintana wow. pitched a really pitched out of some jams, but I thought that was a gutsy performance by him because that was probably the first time in a long time he's come in with men on base and not starting an inning. And I thought Wade Davis, I mean, yeah, you, everybody's like, well, he's a closer, you know. I mean, he gets paid. He should do that. But that is so hard yeah. to do, to come in in that situation knowing, okay, as a closer, you're coming to go, I got to get three outs, maybe four. Yeah. If you come in going, I got to get seven outs, and I don't have my best stuff, that's yep. a gutsy performance by Davis. And in the last inning, you had the last three outs. You were in the heart of the lineup. You had to go one through yeah. three. And if anybody got on, it would have been then uh, worth coming up. But, yeah, it was a it – was a, or no, it would have been uh, – Rendon would have been coming up. But, yeah, that yeah, was Rendon. a gutsy uh, performance for sure. I thought the difference in the game, and this is probably a, a dad who has a son that's a catcher, I thought the difference in the game, if you go back and look at it, was the catching. I mean, if you look at Wilson Contreras, and I, you know he made that great back pick at first base off of, uh, by the way, that was a backup uh, switch hitting catcher, Jose Labat. Labaton, I think his name was. I'd never heard of him. What a terrible situation to be thrown. Yeah, Lobaton. Lobaton, yeah. He gets, he gets thrown out of first base. But Wilson Contreras doing that. And then Matt Wieters, for whatever reason, seemed to be off oh, in the yes, game. Yes, he, he was. He had a couple of pass balls. What was he doing on the pass balls? First and second, two outs. He misses the third strike. Just simply misses it. Doesn't hit anything. Goes between his legs. Goes back to the backstop. Back and to the backstop. And, and he throws it to first base, which then causes the runner from third to yep. score. I mean, that was a huge change, turning point in that game, and it was one run, obviously, which ended up being a one-run game. But I thought Weeders looked a little bit off. Maybe he's fatigued. Yeah, no, I thought he did. I mean, I thought, I thought in some ways uh, everybody looked a little fatigued and drained because they, they played back-to-back. They had that day off with the rain out, so they had to, they had to play in Chicago, fly yeah. to Washington. So, you know, you can tell the adrenaline's pumping early, but then there's only so far adrenaline can take you. <laughs> At some yeah. point you go – Man, I'm drained. I played 162 games. I just played last night. I'm, I'm in, a, in another drained. city. Yeah, and that's yeah. why I thought I thought the managers. I'm amazed. I mean, damn, we we grew up in a day where it wasn't enough for your starter to get you four or five innings or even yeah. three anymore. Yeah. That's weird. I, I I do not like. I think they're smart guys. I I do not like the way Madden manages this year and last year in the playoffs. How Dusty managed. I oh, mean, Madden Dusty. put himself. Madden put himself in that jam. He he put himself where he had to throw yeah. Davis for seven innings. It wasn't like – I mean, it was his fault. The only guy to and come Davis in was John Lackey, yeah. Hey, poor Dusty, man. This I think this is his ninth straight, maybe tenth now, straight division uh, game deciding division uh, you know game that he has lost. Lost, yeah. Yes, man. Can you? That's a terrible streak. And, and I like Dusty Baker, but he has not been able to get the Cubs, the Reds, the Giants, nor the Nationals to the next level. So poor Dusty. And the Cubs reach their third straight NLCS now, and Dusty goes home again. Probably the biggest loss they had was when 2012, when they had such a great team, and the Cardinals beat them when they had a six to nothing lead in the game deciding uh, fifth game of the NLDS. Yep. But yeah, he has had some crushing defeats for sure. I don't know. I don't know when these managers are going to learn that. Yeah, Max Scherzer might be great. Yeah, John Lester might be great. But if you don't pitch on two days rest your entire career, you can't just turn it on and come do it. You, yeah. I mean, you just, you just, I mean, yeah, they're great. Look at Verlander. I mean, A.J. Hinch, what are you doing? <laughs> know, bringing yeah. Verlander into a game. Yeah. And if you know you're going to bring him in, let him start the inning. You know, don't bring him in with guys on at least. But 
why do you go to Verlander? Why do you go to? I mean, I I just think the managing. I think Joe Girardi's been the best manager. Well, he speaking of which, when we manages, you're right. Pitching and anything. You speaking know? of which, They're when we come resting. back, we're going to have the Yankees. We're going to talk a little Yankees Indians here on Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. Don't miss it. We'll be talking a little more baseball, and then we're going to talk a lot of Cowboys football as well as the NFL injuries, which are rampant right now. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after a short commercial break. Listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. Great to have you part of our listening audience today. Man, we are with the best sports medicine audience in the world. Hey, if you want to be, listen to our show, maybe you missed a previous interview or maybe miss or can't listen to the one like we're having uh, later on in the show with uh, Lance Berkman, six-time All-Star with the Houston Astros, you can go back and listen to that interview by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and listen to it anytime, anywhere at your convenience. Hey, we want to have... We'll have uh, Say a big shout-out to my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. And, Ferris, I thought we would talk a little bit more baseball here with the uh, Yankees uh, getting ready. You know, they beat the Indians, which nobody really saw that coming or predicted it. They got down early in the series and were able to come back. And uh, you were had an interesting point. You thought if they would have lost the series to the Indians after Joe Girardi didn't call a challenge on the hit batsman that actually hit the bat of the Indians player, you thought they would have fired him. And they go on to win this series, and now he's like the he's like the uh, champ there in New York. It's so strange. The New York crowd's so fickle. But you thought they would actually have fired Joe Girardi had he lost that series. Yeah, I think n- not just for that one call, but I just think you know J- Joe. I think is a guy that. Either love him or you hate him, and I think that his act is kind of wearing thin up there in New York with the front office and stuff. But, I mean, on the field, what he's done with his team, and like I said, I think they won that series because, you know, he, he had he had Sonny Gray and or CeCe Sabathia on full day's rest that last, that yeah. last game because right. he didn't, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have rolled Severino out there again after what he did in the wild card game, just getting blown up in the first inning, but... He let Severino pitch a, a decisive game four yeah. or game, you know, and he didn't, he didn't push Tanaka up early. He didn't push anybody up early. And now he was one of the only managers in all of these series that went long that didn't try to push guys up and pitch him on, on less than their four days rest. And I don't think anybody really performed well on less than four days rest. If I, I'm, I'm going off the top of my head, but um, I thought Girardi's done a great job, but I still think, you know what? He could be the guy that wins a World Series and isn't back next year because I just don't think they like him up there. Yeah, I know. It's strange. In fact, the baseball, uh, I think it was Brett Gardner, the uh, guy who got the hit that actually kind of led to you know the insurance runs for Raldis Chapman in the ninth inning of the last game. Great at bat. 13 pitches, I think it was. Fought off a bunch of tough, tough foul balls, and then he ends up getting a hit. And I thought Todd Frazier did a great job of taking home when they uh, bounced the ball in from the outfield, and he was just a hustle play on Todd Frazier's part. But Brett Gardner came out after the game and said, yeah, we won that for Joe, man. We wanted to keep him, we wanted him to keep his job. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys love Joe Girardi. He's a player's manager, apparently, and they wanted to win that game to make sure that he still had his job. But, man, that is pretty fickle if uh, you get your team that's in a rebuilding year. That's what they kind of called it this year. And then he makes the wild card, and then he wins the wild card game and gets him up against the best team in all of baseball, supposedly the Cleveland Indians, who were at least in the running. And then, you know, and then he's going to lose his job. It's just a tough, tough gig there in New York for sure. Yeah, I think it's. I think a lot of it is he's very strong-willed, as a lot of these guys are, and I think Cashman has been there long enough that he can. He she should be able to implement his strategy, and I think they just butt heads with some of these young guys, like how they play him, when they play him, what they do with them, and I think I think 
you know, Cashman just might be wanting to get somebody in there that's more of, you know, he can kind of direct more with the younger guys, but you can't argue with what Joe's done this year. I mean, as you said, they weren't supposed to do anything this year. And right now, to be quite honest, it wouldn't shock me at all if they didn't beat the Astros the way they're playing and the way their staff is throwing. And then you take into into account that really their biggest slugger, Aaron Judge, really doesn't have much of a series. The guy sets a record for the most games consecutively having four strikeouts in a playoff series. I mean, the guy is just uh, kind of writhing up there at the plate right now. You, you take him out. If you said, hey, Aaron Judge is going to strike out four times for uh, three or four games in a row, and uh, he's going to hit, you know, really no home runs in that series, you would have said, well, the Yankees don't really have a chance. But, man, the team came together. They figured out how to rally, and they got it done. Another star slugger that they really were kind of counting on after an offseason acquisition is Matt Holiday. Matt Holiday, Ferris, because of uh, having – contracted Epstein-Barr virus, which is the virus that uh, is uh, the one that causes mononucleosis, referred to oftentimes as mono. He is uh, was 11 for 81 since the All-Star break, only had two doubles and one home run. And now uh, there's a question whether or not Chase Hudley or, or Chase Headley or um, Matt Holliday is going to be the DH. Matt Holliday really wants it. He's been a guy that in the past has been clutch for the Rockies and the Cardinals. What would you uh, think if Matt Holliday rode the pine versus being the DH because of his kind of uh, poor performance in the second half after coming back from mono? Well, I mean, I think you got to ride the hot hand. I'm not sure that Headley's the hotter hand, but, um, I, I mean, you know, you can't rely on in the past he did this because yeah. it just if, – if he hasn't been hitting the ball well, you know, you gotta you got to go with whoever's hot. I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if maybe a younger guy. I think they got a few a few young guys uh, there that they could throw in there as well. But, yeah, it's too bad. I mean, Holiday, he, maybe he's been hanging on a little bit too long with all the injuries and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you, you don't have a great option with either of those guys. And you look over at the Astros, and they've got more options with Gaddis and Beltron and – you know, Reddick and a few more guys that can either play outfield or, or DH. Good night. Carlos Beltran is like the ever-ready bunny. I can't believe he's still yeah. playing. I think he started broke in with the uh, Kansas City Royals when he was like 19. He did. Yeah. yeah. He's almost like, he's. I believe he's almost 20 years in to his professional <laughs> right. career. That is amazing how long that guy's been playing. He's had a real good uh, outside chance if he can hang on for another year or two of getting <laughs> nearly 3,000 hits. He's at, I think he's about 250 away right now. I think he believes he's at 27-something. Right. But, yeah, another 3,000 hit guy, and he's a great switch hitter, and he's been around for so long. But, yeah, the other, the other comment I was going to make from a sports medicine standpoint, uh, some people take a mononucleosis as if once you've been cleared to play, you're good. But what it does, it causes a tremendous amount of fatigue. It affects you in such a way that you just get really, really tired, fatigued, and it's very difficult to come back from. So when he was out with mononucleosis, he was probably, you know, at that point in time, having a, a very difficult time trying to exercise at all. And so when you think about him trying to come back, it's not just suddenly he's able to play now, but he's probably not full strength. And Matt Holliday is a great, big, strong guy, really relies on a lot of home run power, really gets down on his legs when he hits, and has a really big leg kick. If you don't practice live pitching consistently for a lo- and you have a high leg kick, your, your timing can be off. And that's what it looks like to Matt Holliday. I th- to me, when I watch Matt Holliday bat, I feel like he's still fighting the after effects of being off for, for so prolonged period of time and he still to me appears to be fatigued and not quite back on his timing yet and that would be that would be pretty classic for mononucleosis and how it affects you even months sometimes up to a year later it can still have lingering effects it's, it's that kind of disease well and that's that's a good point about timing and being in that rhythm because 
you know, in Bryce to Bryce Harper back to the point yeah. you made the last segment about he looked like he was rushing. I mean, the guy missed about what four four to five weeks with that with that yeah. uh, injury Terrible in his injury. leg. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you know, he he's just been back a couple of weeks, so it's it's rare that you. And he actually had a nice series, you know. Right. But those last two at bats, he probably's got a little bit too a little bit too aggressive, maybe. Yeah, and you know I, that's one of the things you know. And, and Lance Berkman, who's coming on our show later on, he has a hitting philosophy, and we can talk about that. But I wrote it down when I was doing lessons. My son was doing lessons with him. I called the Berkman way. But one of the things he talked about was leg kicks are fine. They do, in his opinion, provide maybe more power, you know, or it's a good timing mechanism to allow you to kind of get your weight loaded right. But he says when it's off, it's really off on your timing. He says you have to have swing <laughs> mechanics. You have to, hitting is swing mechanics timing and the art of hitting like knowing when a fastball is coming a curveball guessing right those kind of right. things but if your swing timing is off you can have great mechanics but you can't hit a baseball because that timing is such such an important part of it and yeah you're right looking at Bryce Harper last night he just looked like he was a little early on everything just even even the ball they hit off the end of the bat they get to center field and his uh, the bat with the bases loaded yep he was just a tad bit early, which allowed him to pull through on a swing and catch it off the end of the barrel. So that is such a difficult part. But guys who have high leg kicks can oftentimes get their timing screwed up. And when they do, they really – like you look at Josh Donaldson this year. He's another guy with a big leg kick. You yeah. Know, he's, he can be an incredibly good power hitter, MVP-style power hitter. But at other times, he can look like he is just off. And it's hard to get that back once you've been off. And then you take Matt Holliday, who's not able to see live pitching. There's not a substitute for that. So how do you get your timing down when you're not able to play because of illness? So this is probably a big factor for the Yankees. A good Matt Holliday, you insert him in the middle of that Yankees lineup. Wow, let's say you go Judge, yeah. Sanchez, Matt Holliday in his, you know, when, he's, when he's really kicking it. And, uh, that's, that's a tough back-to-back-to-back. Yeah, I the thing that has glaringly stood out to me in this this playoff so far is the lack of quality pitching from from aces. Like yeah. Corey Kluber pitched horrible twice. Zach yeah. Greinke pitched uh, very bad once and very yep. average again. Hendricks Hendricks had Hendricks had a unbelievable game one and he was horrible last night, leaving yeah. balls up in the zone and you know they should have scored more. I mean Tanaka pitched to Jim. I thought CC's first and second game were good, but Verlander had so many. Yeah, Verlander had a great first game, and then when they brought him in in in, in relief, he was horrible. I mean, yeah. I, it's just amazing to me how bad some of these aces have thrown. I mean, Robbie Ray, who was just a Dodger killer, just couldn't get anybody out with consistency because they rushed him back on short rest, you know. And um, that that's kind of been the the key to me. We're you and I grew up in the days where Jack Morris would take the ball and pitch <laughs> nine innings, you know. Yeah. Or or Tom Glavin would go throw a gym, or Maddox would, or Dave Stewart would go out and you know, pitch lights out. We're used to that. We're not used to guys struggling through four innings and getting the hook. Yeah, I can't really understand Corey Kluber. I mean, a guy that's going to be up for the Cy Young, the guy had that great season, and he comes in, and he doesn't just pitch poorly. He stunk. I mean, it was just yeah. bad. It's horrible. Like an inning and a third, and you're just getting lit up. And so I just don't understand how you can go from being – that good to that poor in such a short period of time and over a course of several games. And if you go back to his uh, last game in the uh, Game 7 of the World Series last year and take these playoff starts he's had now, he has quite the uh, resume of a pitcher that cannot pitch in a big game situation right now. So he's obviously a great pitcher in the regular season and has been at times in the playoffs. But, man, you take his last few starts and they are, man, they are rough. To say the least. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a fan. Like for from a fantasy baseball perspective of of selecting pitchers high that had pitched a lot of innings the year before. So 
I thought Kluber was going to have a bad year, and his his season started really poorly. But, man, he turned it on, and he was the best pitcher in baseball for about five and a half months. Yeah. And so you thought he would carry that through coming in, but he just, yeah, I don't know what it was, man. He just, I don't know if it's nerves. It shouldn't have been. Or yeah. if maybe some mechanics got off, or you never know. Maybe never know. there was a little bit of an injury there that they didn't want to talk about, and it'll come out later. But I, that's one of for Terry Francona, I love him as a manager. Trevor Bauer starts game one, which I thought was ridiculous, but proved me wrong, pitched a great game. But then he brought him back on like three days rest or four yeah. days rest to, you know, three days rest to pitch him again. It's like you have Clevenger and you have Carrasco or Sanchez Salazar who haven't even thrown yet. Yeah. Like what? What? What are you doing? Like I just, I just didn't get it. So right, yeah, they're harkening back to the days of Bob Gibson. You give him the ball every third day, and he goes out there and throws Boom. a gym. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often, man. No, there aren't many Bob Gibson. Not in the playoffs, it ain't. Uh, yeah, not not in this world anyway. But so, which series has you more excited uh, going forward? The uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, who won 103 games this year, pay, playing the uh, you know World Series uh, champs to, uh, last year, the Chicago Cubs, or the New York Yankees with uh, Aaron Judge going up against the uh, young, spunky Houston Astros with the likes of Altuve? Well, from a fan perspective, um, after watching what the Dodgers did to the D-backs, um, I, I don't want the Dodgers to make it, and I'm tired of the Cubs. So I, <laughs> is it possible to have one team make it to the and then no team for the National League advance? Is that, can we, can yeah. we do that? But yeah. no, I'm more excited about the American League. I, I think the Yankees, with their young guys and their pitching, are playing so well. Uh, right now, and I just think that Houston is stacked. Um, I'm I'm really excited to watch that series, and you know I'd love to see the Astros advance and get you know get over the over the hump and get to their first World Series. I think Altuve, it's just amazing what he's doing. I like Springer, I like um, Correa, I like Beltran there. You know, I, I I'd, I'd like to see them get over the hump. Yeah, it's a really good mix of young guys with a little veteran mixed in sprinkles there, especially with Verlander and uh, Carlos Beltran now. Got a couple of uh, you know veteran pitcher and a veteran you know outfielder now coming in against all these young guys the Correas of the world the Altuves a lot of fun guys I think Tyler White actually who we had on Docs and Jocks their first baseman I think he is actually get left off the playoff roster they said they're going to probably bring up another pitcher I was hoping he was going to be on uh, beyond the roster so we could talk to him after the yeah. season but uh, yeah you never know uh, if you're going to make it to that final roster spot or not but yeah I'm, I'm very excited about the Astros and it's gonna be fun talking to Lance Berkman about uh his uh, experience with the Houston Astros, the first time they went to the World Series, you know, he was almost got there, but they got uh, beat by the White Sox, and now they're back again and talking to him about how that city feels right now. He still lives in the Houston area and where they're at with that. But that'll be a fun interview coming up with Lance Berkman. Hey, Beltran was on that team, right? They they traded that. That's when Beltran went to the from the Royals to the Astros for that like last three month, two month stretch, and he was unbelievable. Like, oh, really? He had a phenomenal series. Huh. He stole like eight bases down the stretch in like three games. And oh, really? I think Beltran was on that team that went to the World Series, if well, I'm not mistaken. We'll have to find that out. That'd be just a great and question they, for and Lance then Berkman. He, they couldn't re-sign him because they didn't have the money. I think he went. That, didn't he go to the Mets then after that? Yeah, for a bunch yeah. of money, something like that. Hey, uh, other side of this commercial break, we're going to be talking to Dale Funk, orthopedic surgeon, talking about the JJ Watt injury. But right now, we have lovely Miss Tracy Munn, our mental strength coach. We'll be right back with more docs and jocks after this short commercial break. I recently read a quote that said, "Your body can stand almost anything. It's your mind that you have to convince." I have found that this is absolutely true for athletes. Our minds can definitely make or break us when things get really tough. Whether it's an extremely long game with very tough competition or an excruciating practice in extreme weather, our minds can many times determine the outcome of our performance. It is almost guaranteed that if we tell ourselves that we can't do something or say to ourselves that something is impossible, we will most likely quit 
or fail at that endeavor. Athletes must learn how to use their minds to power and work through difficult situations. Developing mental skills such as concentration, goal setting, and coping with adversity can help athletes get through and be successful in even the toughest of physical situations. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about building mental strength, you can contact us at the Edge Mental Strength Training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin-Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today, man. It's been an awesome show here on Docs and Jocks so far. Hey, if you can uh, ever want to listen to our show anytime, anywhere, you can do that by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X and J-O-X, or you can listen to maybe one of our previous uh, guests you miss, uh, like some of the great ones we've had every week, uh, by going to DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And there you can listen to any of our previous interviews. Hey, later on the show, you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to have on award-winning sports injury writer Will Carroll talk about some of the uh, injuries in the NFL as well as Major League Baseball right now. And then we're going to have on six-time All-Star Lance Berkman coming up on our show here later uh, talking about the Houston Astros and what they've done for the city of Houston uh, in this uh, uh, playoff run so far. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, I thought we'd talk about some of the injuries we got in the uh, NFL right now. Man, I'm telling you, it is crazy, right? If you want to talk about injuries, you can talk about just about any team has been devastated. Uh, one of the big ones right now is J.J. Watt. And J.J. Uh, Watt had the, uh, you know, probably the best defensive player in the NFL. He has a tibial plateau fracture. And we're hoping to get online here in just a little bit. Uh, Dr. Dale Funk, he's going to be talking to, uh, to us about that type of injury and why he had to have surgery for it. And uh, it looks like he's probably going to be non-weight-bearing for about six weeks after uh, he's had this surgery, which uh, is going to put him out you know, in another month and a half. And then he would have to be six to eight weeks of rehab, which would be, be uh, about another two months. So you're going to be talking about at least mm. three months, which puts J.J. Watt, the best player in the NFL right now, best defensive player for sure. Uh, he will be out of the season. What a de- devastating blow to the Houston Texans, man. Yeah, I was watching the game, of course, because they were playing the Chiefs, and um, it was it, it was just a weird – like he got hit, he went down, he tried to get back up, and boom, it just – a know. weird angle, and it just – it wasn't like somebody crunched him or yeah. anything like that. But, yeah, when I saw him do him, I thought it was a knee at first, the way he kind of buckled or whatever, yeah. but – it's it's too bad. I think he knew right away it might be the season because his brother like tweeted right away like, "Hey, sorry, bud. I feel yeah. horrible for you." I think people knew. Well, Ferris, we have online Dr. Dale Funk, good friend of the uh, Docs and Jocks Radio Show, good friend of mine, as well as a co-team physician with Hardin Simmons University, where we take care of the uh, Hardin Simmons Cowboys together. We have on Dale Funk with Abilene Sports Medicine Orthopedics. Hey, Dale, thanks for being on. Hey, you bet, Dan. How y'all? Doing great, man. So uh, the biggest uh, injury in the news this week in the NFL has definitely been the J.J. Watt injury. Explain to our listening audience uh, who don't know what a tibial plateau fracture is, what that type of injury is, and what that means to J.J. Watt. Right. Yeah, that was a very interesting injury. Those are very uncommon to have to have surgery from a football injury on a plateau. It's just what it sounds like. It's the top of the tibia. And he he came down in it some way where his uh, femur impacted his tibia at that knee. And, and it usually is on the outside of the knee, the lateral part of the knee, where it kind of gets crunched. And so he just depressed a piece of bone off of that uh, top of his tibia there, and that, that's what uh, that's what made him have to have surgery. Usually those are not um, displaced at all. They're not out of place. 
And uh, I think even Al Michaels was saying, well, uh, Des Bryant had an injury like this, and he's back in three weeks. And, yeah, and I was right. thinking to myself, well, no, that's not the same injury. Yeah. You know. We saw that with so, Anthony Hitchens, the linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. He had a tibial plateau fracture. Like you said, it, it hadn't shifted or moved or displaced. And he was able to come back, you know, and it took him about four to six weeks to get, be able to get back. But, yeah, that's a big difference. And, and where that tibial plateau fracture is, it actually involves the joint. So explain to our listening audience why you would do surgery if it is displaced, why it's so important to get it back put in the right place. Right. Well, if it's not out of place, they heal just like any other fracture. You don't have to move them at all. But if, if you're in the joint surface, the joint surface has to be very, very smooth or else you're going to get arthritis later on in life. And so you can't accept hardly any displacement, usually just a few millimeters and if it's over that, you have to uh, correct it, push it back up so that the joint surface remains smooth. Because over time, if you don't and it's not smooth, it will get uh, arthritis in that knee pretty bad. Right. Hey, we're talking to Dr. Dale Funk with Abilene Sports Medicine Orthopedics. Ferris, you have a question for Dr. Funk? Yeah, Dr. Funk, I, this is my always my thought. You know, I mean, J.J.'s been around for a while. The injury involved surgery is out for this year. Something, though, they can fix and moving forward, uh, if everything goes well, should be able to come back next season and have no lingering effects? Yes, sir. Uh, very much so. I think that uh, even that injury, as long as they got it back into place good and, and uh, they were able to have a good surgery on it, um, that would be better than even having what I would say taking out half or two-thirds of your meniscus uh, surgery. So even though that's a lot easier of a surgery on you, the long-term sequelae, of this injury should be less than, than the others. Awesome. Um, even an ACL, you know, an ACL, you can replace the ACL, um, and uh, but you just can't get the right kinematics of the knee back so, sometimes. So I think that going forward, as long as he didn't do any damage to the surface of his bone um, and, the, and the covering of the bone there, then, then he should be great. Awesome. Well, Dr. Funk, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks, man. We know you're a busy surgeon, and uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of Dr. Funk, he's at Abilene Sports Medicine and Orthopedics, longtime team physician for multiple universities, professional teams, and uh, as well as uh, college and high school. So, Dr. Funk, thanks for being on. Hey, anytime. Great to talk to you guys. Right. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Doc. Bye-bye. Well, that's good to get here, Ferris, when you talk about one of the greatest players yeah. uh, in the NFL right now, looking like he's going to be able to come back and uh, hopefully be as good as new next year. And knowing J.J. Watts, he's probably a lot like, you know, we've interviewed the great Sean Lee here on, on the radio show, and he's talking immediately from the time he injured his knee. He was talking about he was going to do everything in his ability to be back and be not, not only the same Sean Lee, but to be better uh, and play. And then he, he did that. I could see J.J. Watt having that same kind of drive, using this time when he's down, when he's non-weight-bearing, to do things like core stability, strengthening exercises, and trying to keep his cardiovascular status, you know, doing some type of aerobic activity to keep himself going. I could totally see J.J. Watt doing that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it obviously hurts him on the field. Um, it kills him, too, because he's the face of the franchise and really one of the faces of the NFL. NFL uses him to market quite a bit. But, you know, the one thing that stood out to me, other than J.J. going down in that game, is they got him a superstar in Deshaun Watson, man. I yeah. mean, I... I, that he might be the new face of that franchise. I mean, young, athletic, good-looking guy. And they did the story. He gave a game check to some of the families devastated that work at the at the facility, devastated by the hurricane. He donated his game check to That's them. That's crazy, I'm like, man. This, this, I mean, That's this awesome. guy's man. You want a new guy to be the face of your franchise? Not that JJ's not going to be anymore, but man, they look they look like they might be in good shape moving forward offensively. Yeah, you got Deshaun Watson doing his great thing down there. You got JJ Watt, you know, raising I don't know how many. They ended up being oh, like millions, millions, millions man, yeah. that he raised oh, for really? the, wow. the, the Houston uh, 
you know, Hurricane Harvey uh, victims. So, yeah, great things going on in that city. And it's one of the reasons I'm really be- – this year, it's kind of like when uh, 9-11 happened, I suddenly became a New York Mets and a New York Yankees fan because I thought it was good for that city. A lot of times cities will kind of rally around their sports team when they've had a big crisis mm-hmm. like what they had in Houston and now what we see happen in Oakland and those kind of things. But, you know, uh, you kind of root for that team that's had that city with such a devastating injury or devastating loss like they did with Hurricane Harvey – I want them to make the World Series, the Astros. I want the Texans to do good this year and make a deep playoff run. Who knows, go to the Super Bowl with Deshaun Watson. But, yeah, it's been really cool to see what these guys have done for their cities and how they're giving back. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm, I'm really glad the Chiefs beat him, but it was it was fun to see. It was fun to see him play the way he played and because that's good for the NFL too, I think. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's, you know, there's a – we, we hear a lot of the other stories, and there's far too many of those stories about the bad dudes in the NFL and yeah. the professional sports and some of that stuff. But there are a lot of good dudes that, yeah. that are, you know, that they're doing good things. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, you never know really if a guy's a good dude or not a good dude until you really get to know him. But, you know, they're good. They're doing good things. And it seems like out of the goodness of their heart and they don't have to do them and they're not doing them for the for the notoriety. So that was a cool story to see. Hey, speaking of Kansas City Chiefs and good dudes, probably the best dude uh, the best dude in all of Kansas City right now who's made the Chiefs a winner. You know who that is? No. Patrick Mahomes, because he has made Alex Smith into a new man. <laughs> what in the world is going on, man? Alex Smith, a guy who's been – he's been good. He's had a decent NFL career up to this point in time. But you bring in a young Texas Tech Red Raider who can throw it 60 miles or 60 yards from his knees through the goalpost, and suddenly now Alex Smith has had a new fire lit under him. Would you agree? Now, now, listen, if you if you you know what I've been saying, what is my biggest problem with Kansas City Chiefs is Andy Reid. Andy Reid. He knows how to build a team and put it together and put yeah. infrastructure, but he's horrible game. And he never let Alex Smith until this year actually play. He always had the leash on. And maybe it's Mahomes, but I think, too, it's Andy Reid is finally letting him throw the ball downfield. I mean, there was he's had three games over 300 yards passing. This year, and he never had one before in his career. Yeah. Because Harbaugh and Reed now were just putting the leash on him. So I've always thought he was a really good quarterback, but I've always thought Andy Reed wasn't letting him go. But you, maybe Andy's letting him go because he knows he's got Mahomes behind him. But I, I think that's huge. I think uh, Hunt, Kareem Hunt being there, uh, it's kind of like Priest Holmes 2.0, helps him out a bit. But I've always loved uh, Alex. Would you say that uh, we could say Andy Reid and Dust is is the equivalent of Dusty Baker uh, in the NFL? <laughs> they both know I, how to get teams to the playoffs, maybe, but cannot get over the hump. And the players seem to love them, and they stay around forever because they're above five hundred, but never get them to the big show. I always compared him to Buck Showalter. I always thought he was the Buck Showalter. <laughs> Buck is great at putting in infrastructure and building teams. He did it with the Yankees. They got rid of him. Torrey came in and won a bunch. Did he did Orioles. it with the Diamondbacks. Uh, they got rid of him. Brindley came in and won the World Series. He's doing it with the Orioles, and they'll they'll replace him with Cal Ripken next year or the year after, and they'll win a World Series. Oh, that's, really? That's, you think Cal's coming back, analogy. man? You think Cal's going to manage? I, you know, his dad the did. Teams are so good. All they need to do is have a guy who just kind of understands the game. And is, look at Molitor. Yeah. I mean, he I like got so much out of yeah. that young team because he just let him play. Yeah. Like he didn't micromanage. He just was like, I know what you're going through. Just play ball, guys. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So, uh, J.J. Watt, hopefully we'll be seeing him back. We do want to say thanks to uh, Dr. Dale Funk for doing that interview with us. Hey, uh, don't forget on our other segment coming up after this, we're going to have on uh, award-winning sports injury writer Will Carroll. We'll be talking about all these different injuries, whether in the NFL or Major League Baseball, but obviously we're going to be talking about the J.J. Watt one some more. But, uh, yeah, there's been some big ones, especially with uh, – 
I would say the New York Giants right now might be the most injured wide receiving core of all time. They lose four guys on the same day, which uh, prompted our, our uh, board operator, Vincent, here to come up and say, is there something that the New York Giants are doing wrong? And my answer was no. This is bad luck, man. Odell Beckham has a distal fibular fracture. He basically is going to have to have surgery to repair that. That's the bone on the outside of your lower leg, the kind of the uh, strut bone on the outside. It carries about 15% of your uh, weight because it's just basically not a heavy weight-bearing bone. But he breaks that in a weird mechanism as a bad kind of gruesome awesome, uh, ankle injury that uh, he had. Then they lose Brandon Marshall. He's having ankle surgery. He's been placed on season-ending IR. Dwayne Harris, their uh, wide receiver, but also their special teams player, punt returner, kickoff returner. He goes down with a fractured foot and underwent surgery. And Sterling Shepard sprains his ankle as, as well. So all four wide receiving crew right now are out. They're basically uh, taking tight ends and making them wide receivers. And uh, believe it or not, right now, Eli Manning is 0-5. And it tends to correlate if you have a <laughs> lot of injuries to key players. You cannot win football games. Even the Chargers were able to uh, – beat the lowly uh, New York Giants. So, yeah, four guys. And, by the way, Vincent brought this up. I didn't realize this until he said it. They also all sprained the same and broke the same foot and ankle, same side. Wow. I believe it was left, right, Vincent? Yep. Yeah. So wow. is it So, Ferris, you're the big conspiracy guy. Four wide receivers on the same team go down with foot and ankle injuries on the same day, all on the same foot. Is there a conspiracy here? Oh, absolutely. There has to be. Um, here's what I think. I think Eli Manning's behind it because he was playing really poorly when they were healthy and he knew he might lose his job. Now he's got an excuse. So he's the happiest guy there is. You might think he's sad. Yeah. He's happy. He's he happy. knew they weren't winning any games with these clowns. Now they're all hurt. And now he can go, well, hey, I didn't have anybody to throw to. Yeah. And they'll, they'll forget that he's just – that Eli's just kind of passed his part. By the way, did you see when they did the Peyton Manning – um, the tribute, you know, in Indianapolis and uh, David Letterman. Did you hear the joke he made no. about that? No. He said, he said, uh, he said, uh, and by the way, right now, to, as of today, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning have the same number of wins on the season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible, man. That's terrible. Hey, the only, only still standing wide receiver for the New York Giants is a guy named Roger Lewis. I don't know Roger Lewis. I think he was number five on the depth chart. So he is uh, reported that they have him. Well, he was last seen uh, wrapped in bubble wrap. He was the last guy standing. He's the only wide receiver left. Wow, man. Can you believe that? One dude left in the entire wide receiving core for the New York Giants. I've never seen anything like that. An entire you know, the entire backfield or the entire wide receiving core, the entire, you know, defensive back. So uh, you don't see that all in one week to the no. same area all go down. There must be a conspiracy there, Ferris. Yeah, I just – I wonder what – you know, I'm, I'm sure I haven't looked at their waiver wire. They've got to be grabbing guys, bringing them off. I mean, it's – hey, it's next man up, right? So this this dude, what you say his name was? Roger Witters? Roger Lewis. Witt Lewis? Yeah. Roger Lewis? I mean, hey, Rogers Lewis, chance to get a big contract now, you know? Yeah. You go out, you catch 10 or 11 balls a game, you get 100 couple yards, you score some touchdowns. Next thing you know, you're the toast just like Beckham. I mean, Beckham was big when he came in. They thought he was going to be, but, you know, he went to, like, no-name, you know, college guy to, like, the greatest receiver ever because of the New York media. Oh, and that, yeah. That first season. So I'm, I'm rooting for Roger Lewis. Wilson, yeah. what's his name? <laughs> Roger Merriweather Lewis. No, oh, he, no, like no, it's just better. Roger Lewis. I like just that Roger name Lewis. Even better. Yeah, We're just... going to call him Merriweather. 